Well, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 5. How many people have been enjoying our journey through the Sermon on the Mount? If you haven't been with us, go back and watch it. I know it looks like we're missing just a few tonight, so make sure we reach out to those we don't see. Tell them we love them. Share this with them. As we're jumping into Matthew 5, we'll be starting in verse 27. We're going to endeavor to finish the chapter. <laughs> we're going to endeavor. I actually believe we can by the grace of God. I wanted to really make it clear how important it is we steward these moments. Do you realize that how hungry you are determines, it determines how much you enjoy the meal? You know what I'm saying? That if you're not really hungry, it's almost, a, it's, a, it's a chore to eat. Have you ever been there before when you, you, you felt obligated to eat something but you really weren't hungry? That's not enjoyable. <laughs> but when you're hungry, that means that you look at this and you say, you know what, I, I'm coming to the table to eat tonight. I'm, 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 I'm hungry. And it's when we, when we approach it that way that we say that I, I, I want to steward this moment so well. Do you realize that this, if you, some people could come in this room and just say, uh, you know, check church off for the week. I was there. I sang a little bit. Something about Sermon on the Mount. Something Jesus said. Or you could, you could lock in right now. You could say, God, you, you made sure I had this word and you're speaking something to me right now. You're telling me something. You're whispering something about who I am and who you are. You know, that could change everything. It could, it's literally could change you forever. It's so amazing. <laughs> I, I really hope that just me saying that could just add a little bit of context to how vital it is that we do not treat this lightly. There's so much history going on in this moment. So much history. God could point back to tonight on the other side of eternity. And say, you know that, that one night, I was able to show you something because you honored me. I was able to show you something because you, you pushed through the crowd. And you grabbed hold of my, my garment. You grabbed hold of who I am. So on the Sermon on the Mount, we've, we've gone through the Beatitudes and I just want you to know, just because we've gone through them does not mean we're experts on the Beatitudes now. <laughs> Please understand, you should always find, the Sermon on the Mount, like when we get done the Sermon on the Mount, it does not mean that you've graduated from the Sermon on the Mount. If we finish the Sermon on the Mount and I say, let's do it again, you don't say, oh man, we already did that. You say, hallelujah. So let's, let's hear it again. Jesus, this, and every word of God is inspired by him. But the Sermon on the Mount came from the mouth of Jesus. 
I'm not trying to elevate it to such a, like all the word is so precious. But Jesus came to the earth. And there are people that, there's certain theology that I really do not agree with, to put it nicely. Where people say that the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is to show how impossible it is and that it really has no relevance just to bring us to the end of ourselves. And I agree with the sentiment of that, but I, I do believe God's calling us into everything he's saying here. In fact, I, I believe the only reason the Sermon on the Mount is controversial is if you look at it through a selfish cultural lens. I think as soon as you see it as a story revealing his nature, we'll read things tonight that are actually... I'm telling you, if you don't have the right heart posture, things that Jesus says tonight, you're going to hate. Spoiler alert, if you haven't read all of Matthew 5, Jesus says very controversial things in Matthew 5. That if you were just, it's, it would be like you go to a church service and you're like excited. You're just like right now, you're just like ready to hear a word. And somebody just says, yeah, um, everything you thought about life is wrong. <laughs> that's, that's like literally what's, what's happening here. It's like countercultural. Everything that you have been infused with is not who I am and not the way that it's not where freedom is. You see, Jesus isn't coming and, and smacking people in the head. He's trying to say that there's a true freedom in knowing who I am and a people that live the Beatitudes are a people that reveal the character of God. That the Beatitudes are the disposition of God's heart. And I, I, I want to find myself in there. And uh, this was, a, <laughs> this was a, a question that was asked to me the other day as I was reading. I was reading something, and it was just a simple question. In light of what Christ has done for us, could we ever consider saying no to him? Such a simple question that grips you. In light of what Christ has done for us, could we ever consider saying no to him? The, we would immediately say no, but then when the rubber meets the road and certain affections and certain things we have in our life challenge that, that's, that's called it's time to mature, it's time to grow, it's time to come up higher. It's, it's, it, it's when we see that literally what we, what we gain in Christ puts to shame what we had to give up. <laughs> what we gain in Christ puts to shame. Like, do you remember we were at an altar or you were at a place in life where I give it all up, I give it all up, and some of it was hard for you to give up. But when you look back now, you're like, I'm so thankful. I gave up drinking. I gave up drugs. I gave up porn. You know what I'm, I gave up being selfish. I gave up being greedy. Like it, but there was a time that it was a struggle because you hadn't seen. <laughs> but the more you see him, you're like, oh, wow. There's no price tag too high. And he's helping mature us in that. So in Matthew 27, if I had to give 
or Matthew 5, starting in verse 27. If I had to give tonight a particular title, it would be Motives and Manifestations. And what I mean by that, this is just something to live by. Motives are the seeds of manifestation. Motives are the seeds of manifestation. So whatever your motive is will be the manifestation. You can do the right thing with the wrong motive and the manifestation will, will expose you at some time or another because everything done in darkness will be brought to light. And we're going to see a lot tonight that Jesus is, com- is, he is showing that the Pharisees and the scribes have brought a lot of oral tradition and have, have come to a place where they've belittled even the law of God with their own biases and preferences and he's exposing them but I, I know I told you you all stay in Matthew 5 I just want to read this to set the tone in Psalm 19 and if you're just taking notes you can write it down I just want to read this the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork day unto day utter speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect. Remember last week? All right, what does it say here? The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. I love that. What does that tell me? It tells me as I'm reading. It's doing an inward work in me. That's so, it's converting me. It's renewing me. It's transforming me. This is why, husbands, you need to water your wife with the word. You need to speak over your children the word. You're, you're helping to set their, them on the right track. You're getting, does anybody know that there is something about Lifting the word of God up that changes even the atmosphere and environment in your home. And, and I'm all for putting worship music on your home. That's beautiful. But at some point, you need to take ownership. And you can't just rely on things playing in the background. You need to speak over your, your family. You need to pray with your family. You need to speak the word over your family. And if you're living by yourself, you need to speak the word over yourself. You need to make sure you are, your soul is being converted. It's being transformed. Our spirit is made new, but our soul has to be sanctified. Okay? And your soul is your mind, will, and your emotions. So with that... Being said, we see that the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So the, God is so confident in his word and what it does. If you add to it or take away from it, it perverts the process. This is why we have to have so much integrity in the reading of the word. It can't just be people whimsically throwing scripture out there saying how they feel. We have a big quote around here that the the crown of context reveals the king of the scriptures. And you have to 
understand the narrative. You know, one of my favorite things to do with my kids right now in this part of life, is anybody like I Spy books or familiar with I Spy books? <laughs> What's the point of an I Spy book? Is that you find out what you need to, what you're looking for, and then you look at a page, and what are you excited? You want to find what you need to spy. Like you want to find, and there's so many people reading the Bible, and they have no clue what they're even looking for. So because of that, they start making it all about them. And they selfishly interpret the scripture because all they see is themselves. <laughs> but once you realize what this book is about, you then are on a glorious I spy adventure. And every time you see Jesus, you're like, I see him. He was the ram caught in the thicket with Abraham. He was the ark that Noah got in. All of a sudden, you're like, I spy Jesus. <laughs> oh. More to be desired are they than gold. Do you desire the word of God more than money? Do you de it's, it's much fine gold, sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. This is why fasting's beautiful. Because it's us literally saying it. Your word's more precious. It's more, it's greater. When we give, we're saying you're worth more. You're more. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is a great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Did you know? You know what I love about that verse right there? I want you, verse 12 is so important. This is why I wanted to read this. You're like, you haven't even got to Matthew 5. What are we doing? That verse right there is so honest. Who can understand his errors? This is saying a man or a woman. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. He's not talking about secret sin that you're just too afraid to confess. He is saying there's things I'm doing wrong I don't even know. And your word reveals it to me. This is how pure this book is. I'm not reading this just to get motivated for the day. It can do that, but I'm actually reading it because there's things that are still wrong with the way I see this world and things. And he's done a work in my heart. I'm thankful for that, but there, I'm telling you that we have to allow this to constantly cleanse the way we think because somebody, there's things going on in this world that just one, one wrong conversation, uh, one wrong image. And I'm not trying to say to be fearful and watch. I'm just trying to say I want to stay so close to this book that I don't get prideful thinking I got it all together. I want to be humbly found in the scriptures, not pridefully saying I know it all really well. And then he says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. What is this saying? I don't know if you get this, but what we're about to read in Matthew 5, this is saying something so precious because it's saying that God sees everything you're thinking. And if that doesn't put the fear of the Lord in you, I don't know what does. Because you can hide what you're thinking from everybody in this room. Sometimes you don't do it that well. I'm one of you. I told you before, my wife will look at me. Sometimes you're doing it again. 
You're letting things get to you. Does anybody, all of a sudden, you're doing really good and then problem comes up at work, family dispute, something happens and all of a sudden, everybody's like, yeah, totally something wrong with you. <laughs> Take heart. We have to get here, though, as we go. And let's, let's, let's just jump right into it, because Matthew 27, or Matthew 5, starting verse 27. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. That's coming from the Big Ten. You know what I mean by that? The Big Ten? The Ten Commandments? Exodus 20? We've done away with the law. I'm thankful for the Ten Commandments. Don't do away with the law. I'm thankful that, that God thought it was a good idea to not kill people. Are you thankful for that? That's revealing his character. Thou shalt not kill is not just that's bad. That's, that's not who I am. It's a spirit of murder. And remember we went over that last week that if you hate somebody or you can't stand them being in the room, you have a spirit of murder. If you can't stand to talk to somebody, there's a spirit of murder. I didn't say it. It's something that needs to be dealt with. And we've talked about this in length here in this body. You can't force somebody else to reconcile, but you are commanded to forgive. You can't control what they do, but you are called to forgive. It's actually a non-negotiable um, in Scripture. It might be a process for you, but it, it should be a process that you're stumbling forward in. You know what I mean by that? I'd rather stumble forward in obedience than backslide confidently in pride. You shall not commit adultery. So he's saying you have heard this. So Jesus is speaking to people because the Pharisees are the great teachers of that time. So Jesus is, is sharing from his perspective. Then he goes on to say, very similar to our murder dialogue last week. I know that sounds weird, but <laughs> that was what we were talking about. Is it says, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. All right. We're reading it tonight. Demons are very upset right now that we're dealing with spiritual perversion, a sexual perversion. I, 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 I have to, it, it's, it's such a responsibility for, for me as a leader to stand up here that we live in, we live in a day and age where there is like, there's no boundaries with sexuality anymore. It's getting more and more perverted. And you don't want to be caught judging how demonic the world is, and then you still, in your mind, are lusting, looking at porn in your, your own time, saying it doesn't hurt anybody, sleeping together out of wedlock. Yes, this is big deal to God. It is not only is it a big deal to God, we're about to see just how big of a deal it is because we haven't even read the most severe section of, of this passage. And I know it's already getting difficult in the room. People are like, I don't even know if I can still hear this. You're being judgmental. I'm just reading what Jesus said because he wants you to be free. 
when the Bible talks about being persecuted, this is something that, this is a hill that I will stand on confidently because I know how valuable it is to him. And I just want to make a statement to you that I think we would all agree on. Did you, there, nothing has caused more devastation, more death and turmoil than sexual immorality. Did you know that if you read the Old Testament, the sexual immorality in all the stories is why there is chaos in the world today? Sexual immorality is not just something you do in private and you're not hurting anybody. No, it's creating something demonic. Because when we're reading the Beatitudes, the reason that this is getting brought up in this context is because it's talking about the character of God. And the reason he's bringing up adultery is because God is intimately into you. He intimately wants covenant with you and if you are going to be a representative of his kingdom and you're not going to show how you value intimacy, you don't represent him. Because sex without covenant shows that love doesn't need commitment. And that doesn't reveal the heart of God. That doesn't reveal his character. So he has a problem with it. And the reason he does is because he cherishes intimacy and he gave sex as a gift to show man and woman what true joy of intimacy is with him. It is a type and shadow of the intimacy we have with him. And when you play around with it, there will be repercussions. There's people in this room that have dealt with there are people in this room that are the product of sexual immorality and adultery and they're, they're the previous generation or maybe right now. And I'm not sharing this to bring any condemnation. Please understand. I'm not. I, please understand the heart of God that the woman caught in the act of adultery in John chapter 8. Jesus did not throw a stone at her. He could have. He did not. Because he wanted her to know that if she could really get a glimpse of how merciful he was, that she would stop trying to find identity in wrong places. But it, it, the thing is that's, that's so interesting here is it says whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Doesn't that sound like that's strong language? Because the Pharisees are like, well, I haven't committed adultery. I'm so, and Jesus is like, how did that woman get caught in the act of adultery? Somebody was looking. Somebody was peeping Tom. Sorry, Dad. His, his, his name's Tom. That's why I said that. But he's Thomas the disciple, not the doubting one, though. Love, love my dad. But it's the fact that what we have here is the fact that this is something that is so intense that Jesus is literally saying that your imagination has the ability to lacerate your soul. 
When people talk about I, even soul ties and things like that, I, you, see, you see with me, I don't get complicated with things because Jesus is very, he's very clear. And what, what I mean by this is that we have to see that when you take, when you realize that this is how much he, how big he is on adultery, what are you saying? That there is, there's so much laceration to the soul when you begin to play around with sexual partners, with lust in your mind, that it's not just about, it's not just about who you've been with and things like this, and you're like, wow, this is a really intense message. This is a Sermon on the Mount. This is, some people are like, I've never heard this before. You haven't heard Jesus' first sermon? That this isn't just a surface thing. He's going into the depths here. He's, he's trying to say that if you are constantly watching porn, you know, I w I'll be honest with you, as a man, I, I've struggled with porn in the past. But the Lord has set me completely free from that. And it wasn't because I woke up every day saying, I'm not going to watch porn, I'm not going to watch porn. Uh, it was because the more I, I saw his glory, and I, I would pray prayers like this. Lord, I can't overcome this on my own strength but you told me that wherever there's a temptation you have provided a way of escape first corinthians 10 13 you have made a way of escape give me the wisdom to navigate the path of grace because sometimes we're thankful for grace but we don't know how to appropriate it grace is an empowerment it's a way to walk through the walls of unbelief and I want to say this. Uh, this was something the Lord put on my heart. When you, whenever you are tempted, especially in sexual immorality, thoughts, imagine it, when, whenever you are tempted, <laughs> temptation is not time for negotiation. It's time for assassination. There are too many Christians as a negotiation. This is the last time, I promise. Or it's not that bad if I do it this way. It's not a negotiation. It's an assassination. You, you take it out. You know why? I have scripture for you for that. Um, I want to show you, uh, this has been a big verse in my life that has helped me get free. Romans 8.13. It says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live. Does that sound like friendly language? Put to death. You know who's Paul speaking to? Romans. Romans that are ready for war and gladiator. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying, you put to death the deeds of the flesh. That means you don't play around. And how do you put to death well, let's look at Jesus. What did he do when he was tempted? He responded with what? The word. But it wasn't just quoting a scripture. It was he knew. He was intimately acquainted with the word. And as the psalmist said in Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against thee. This is, this is something so important. And that's not the only place. In Colossians 3, 5 through 6, it says, Therefore, put to death 
your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. If Christ has set you free, you should not be living in habitual sin. I know that you're like, that's condemnation, brother. No, I believe in the power of the cross. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and the excuses will just enable and empower a delusion and of deception. You need to get in the scriptures and really see. And and once again, I said this earlier, I'm not saying this from a place of piety or from a place that there are still things that, that I have to put to death in my own life. And we have to do this together. And that's why accountability is so important. There's people that j- just attending a church to make you feel better is not called sanctification. That's actually self-righteousness. Church attendance does not make you righteous. Putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Hearing sermons that aren't just a, an encouragement, but disciplinary. What am I telling you to do tonight? Get your sword out. And you're like, okay, where's the context for this? Well, let's keep reading Matthew 5. All right? Actually, right before we do that, I just want to read these to you. Look at this. I want to show you how bad sexual immorality is. Like, just rule of thumb, before I even brought this up, did everybody realize God has a problem with sexual immorality? Is there anybody that thinks he doesn't? <laughs> like, I just want to make sure, because some people live like they don't think he does. I remember when I first got born again, my parents, that when they got radically delivered, and I started going to the church where the Lord called them to, and I'm so thankful for my parents. I'm so thankful for, the, for them crying out for me. And I remember when I was going to that church, the youth pastor every week preached fire, hell, and brimstone. (laughs) I would bring my friends that I was smoking pot with and playing Mario Kart on shrooms. And just, I remember we... I would, we, my mom would pile us all up in a vehicle and take us to church. And because I always heard conviction and I heard the preaching of the gospel and I heard that things were not okay with God, my butt would run to the altar every week. And I'm thankful for that. Not one part of me says, you know what, that really, that was church hurt and, you know, the pastor never told me God loves me. No, I'm thankful that somebody told me sin is wrong. I'm thankful that somebody told me that it's not okay to keep doing certain things. I'm glad somebody said, hey, don't fall off the cliff into eternity of darkness. Not somebody just hug me and say everything's gonna be okay. Sometimes you need somebody to say, no, that's wrong. That's hurting you. You you, You see that we don't hear this sometimes, but this is called love. This is called, I care about you, and he, if I care about you, how much more does he? 
So 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor Solomonites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Is that sobering? Do you think we should play around with anything on that list? Do you think we should know that list? Holy Spirit, help me navigate this list so I don't tiptoe in an area that I should not be playing around in. Sin is so serious. I love what Francis Chan said. He said, for some reason, I think Francis Chan, I, I, I might be paraphrasing what he said, but he, he said in, in lines that he thinks that there's a lot of people in the church that think Jesus went to the cross, that God chilled out on sin. No, if anything, the cross reveals just how horrific sin is, how detrimental it is. It should not just be like, oh, we get a free pass now. That's not even what the Bible preaches. That's called abusing, that's abusing relationship. My wife loves me so much, she lets me cheat on her. Do you hear how that sounds? <laughs> that's what people, God loves me so much. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. You can't do this on your own. You need the empowerment of the Spirit. If you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you don't have the empowerment of the Spirit, you will self-mutilate. You will, you will beat yourself up, which is, that's why this, the next passage we're going to get to. But I have to read these. 1 Corinthians six eighteen. Are you ready for this? Flee sexual immorality. Does that sound like, you know, negotiate? If she's really fine looking, maybe look at her butt for a few more minutes. And vice versa with women. Do you, you, you see, we have to talk about these things. Because the devil doesn't mind talking to you about it. The church needs to have these conversations. We need to preach the word. And it's this, this whole thing here. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. What is this saying? This is actually putting a premium on sexual immorality. Did you know in Acts 15, we went through it together in the home groups. Do you know when they have, the Gentiles are being engrafted in without knowing the law and following the law, and all of the leaders of the church of Jerusalem come together and they make a list of things the Gentiles still need to know. Do you know what's on that list? No sexual immorality. <laughs> like, they actually felt it upon them to make sure that that would be a, a, a coin thing that it would not just, people would just feel like it's not a big deal. They, they constantly bring it up because God has a big problem with it. Lord, help me. I, I hope, I feel, no, has anybody got a stone ready? I just, are you guys good? <laughs> Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, 
sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outburst of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murderers, drunkenness, revelries, and like of which I tell you beforehand. And I also told you in times past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you know when, when something's repeated in the Bible? How, mu- how many times does God need to say something? The answer is one time. So if he says it multiple times, we're not getting it. 2 Timothy 2.22. Once again, ready? Flee! Also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord of a pure heart. You know what we saw in the Old Testament? Joseph being a foreshadow of Christ, what did he do with Potiphar's wife when she was trying to get him? Do you know that what, let's just think about this. He didn't even have the Holy Spirit in him. And what happened? There is a, I would imagine a beautiful woman that is throwing herself at a man that has been in prison, betrayed by his brothers. He could have been like, you know what? I deserve this. I know you're thinking, why are you talking like that? This is the thoughts people have. These are the thoughts the enemy feeds people. You deserve it. Nobody will know. Nobody's here. Nobody's looking. But God knows what you're thinking. He sees what you're thinking. And what what happens here with Pot? He runs out of the house. She actually grabbed his, his, his garment. He ran out of his clothes to get away from being there. He looked like a fool to everyone outside just to get away. You know, when's the last time you hated sin so much that you actually embarrassed yourself getting away from it? That you didn't care what it looked like? We sing about it. I don't care what it looks like. But what happens when, you know, maybe if you live with people in your home and the next time you have a wrong thought or you get on the computer and you're doing something you shouldn't do, maybe you should just yell at the top of your lungs. Lord help me flee (laughs) help me flee because if you stay sin will make you more and more stupid sin will make you stupid right after David slept with Bathsheba do you know he thought he could cover it up have you read that story? Oh, man. He, he became a mastermind all of a sudden. He's like, I'll bring the husband back. I'll put him, you know, I'll try to have a nice time with him. And then and all of a sudden, he went from being on top of the world, and then he entertained something. And the rest of his life was a living hell. And he trusted God through the consequences. It's, it's so noble. When you study the life of David, I'm just like, Wow. And I'm so thankful we can read and learn from other people's mistakes. 
That's God's mercy. We're not getting through the chapter, you know that. But he, <laughs> man, just so you know, I preached it to myself probably like a hundred times today, and I really thought we could do it. But when the Holy Spirit starts really taking over, whatever I had to say is, needs, to, needs to be refined. If anything, the Holy Spirit's like, you got to wait on those other things, son. You thought you were saying them right, but it'll land better in right context. Um, after Michael Dow slaps us around a little bit. <laughs> um, there's a, we're not going to read these other passages, but I do want to give these to you if you're taking notes. Ephesians 5. 3 through 7, and 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8, they are passages you really want to read. They're, they're, they're actually pleas for purity in regards to what we're talking about. Now back to Matthew 5. So are, are you all seeing the severity of a... Uh, I just... Do you want me to hit it a little harder? You got... You guys uncomfortable enough? All right, Proverbs 6. Go to Proverbs 6 really quickly. And I, I really want to make sure I go back to our original narrative here. The reason that God is so against adultery is because it's not who he is. He's not unfaithful as a bridegroom. So when we're reading the Sermon on the Mount, he's revealing his character. So if you get caught at just the action alone, you will miss the whole thing completely. He's, he, he's telling us not to do something because it prohibits us from understanding his nature and character. It's not just that's wrong. It's that's not who I am. So when you embark in that journey, it's corrupting your knowledge of who I am. And that, that hurts his heart. That's... That's what he's after. So I just want to make sure I share that. But Proverbs 6, 20 through 29 is actually, it tells us how we're to beware of adultery. Are you ready? My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the law alight, reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread. And a daughtress will prey upon his precious life. Did you know this was in the Bible? Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Do you know what that's saying? It's saying if, if you're lit on fire, your clothes are definitely, there's no way around it. You're, you're being burned to a crisp. And then it goes on to say, can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? What, what is this telling us? It's, just, it's saying you cannot play around with this. You will, it's going to end badly. We said this at the home groups this past uh, Sunday. Warnings come from love. Threats come from fear. God does not threaten us. He warns us. Because warnings come from love. A threat is to manipulate. 
It's fear-based. So he who goes into his neighbor's wife, whoever touches her shall not be innocent. So back to Matthew 5. The, the thing that you have to look at here is when it goes on, Jesus actually goes to a high degree of severity here. In fact, this next little passage here might be, if misinterpreted, if misapplied, some of you might not have eyes next week. So, and I want to read this. It says, Jesus says, if your right hand or your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. Furthermore, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, if you read church history, it gets crazy. There were literally some people in the faith that would literally gouge their eyes out because of this passage. They would, they would self-mutilate because they took it that serious. You can go read about it. There, I, I've, I've, I was reading a whole bunch about it this week, and I'm just like, you, you know what? And my first thought, and you, you probably think I'm crazy, my first thought is like, I respect that. <laughs> and I, I want you to know, I'm not trying to encourage that. I'm just trying to... I'm not, what, what I'm trying, what I'm really trying to get at though is that, is that people take these words so seriously. That, can I ask you, is, is, is the reality of what Jesus is saying wrong? He is saying, is it better to get to heaven missing an eye, you get the eye back in heaven? And you see, we're, like, we're laughing about this, but this is how we have to look at it. Like, he is showing us when it comes to adultery that this is how severe it is. Like, if you, that's, that's the thing is if we immediately read what Jesus says and our minds immediately go to water, water, water down, we miss the whole point. That's what I'm trying to argue is I'm trying to submit to you. I'm not trying to submit self-mutilation. What I'm trying to submit to you is it's that severe that Jesus could have used any analogy he wanted to. And he chose that. Because there, there's something that is, we have to understand what I was saying before, put to death. Don't, don't, don't allow, don't play around with this. Don't let this go on in your life. And, and he's sharing this, and you have to imagine, like, people are, are, are listening to Jesus speak. Could you imagine, so, like, if, if, his, if he had a, you know, a, a church expert leadership board, and he started preaching that, they're like, hey, Jesus, Jesus, like, you know, tone it down a little bit, man. Everybody's sleeping around, everybody. Hey, you, you don't want to preach on sexual morality because a lot of people are struggling with that. You want to. You know, talk about, just talk about prosperity. Like, talk about, talk about other things. 
The truth sets you free. The truth sets you free. Not getting prayed for a hundred times. <laughs> Not the latest conference. The truth sets you free. The truth. If you don't feel free, where's your butt need to be? <laughs> Stop looking at other girls' butts. <laughs> if you're new tonight, I'm sorry. We really want people free around here. So we good? <laughs> Are you guys good for one, just a little more? Are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I feel like a lot of people, a lot of people got a lot of repenting to do already. Are we? <laughs> All right. Before we read this next passage, what I want to say to you all is I understand what we're about to read is extremely sensitive because my wife and I have talked to a lot of people in this room and we have to talk about divorce for a moment. And I know that there's a lot of people that have dealt with divorce in this room. There are, there are families that have suffered severely because of divorce and there's been people that have had no control over the outcomes and things in that. So I want to share that from my heart before we read this. But just because people have been through things does not mean we shy away from what Jesus said. Do you understand that? So when we read this together, once again, we're not reading this to just look at one person's surface problem. The reason God brings divorce up here is because it has something to do with revealing his character and nature. So he brings it up and brings it to the surface. This is the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking about divorce. So it has to be a big deal. Am I right? So Jesus goes on to say after this whole adultery sermonette, he then says, Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now watch what he says right after that. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now, I want to, before I elaborate on that, go to Matthew 19, because Jesus there's another passage here that's connected to that that's very important on marriage and divorce. And in Matthew 19, starting at verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and a great multitude followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? 
And he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate, period. Now watch. So when he got asked about divorce again here, what is his response? He goes back to the garden in his original heart. What is God saying here about divorce then? He, he's trying to tell us that the Pharisees, and we're going to get back, stay with me here. This is really sensitive and important. That Jesus is talking about divorce here because he is trying to say, what, what is, we can't get caught up in our own little lives here and just doing police for our own decisions when we're reading the Bible. That's the overflow, but you got to catch the narrative here. The reason when they ask him about divorce, if Jesus just signs off on divorce, what that is saying is that God will divorce you. Because our relationships in this life are revealing his nature and character. So the reason he's a, he, he, he goes on to say why divorce is permitted. Everybody say permitted. It's not his original design. It's not from his heart. But listen to why he permits it. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away. Jesus said, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives from the beginning. It was not so. I want you to know that no matter how much culture tolerates evil and celebrates evil, it does not change what God has originally spoken. Now, once again, I said this before, this, there is no condemnation here. I am not in this room telling you that if you are divorced and you have moved on, I am not telling you to go back to that person. I, I don't even believe that that is entirely scriptural here in this context. But what I am saying is that we have to be watchful that we make sure we align our affections and heart with what God says, not what is relevant in culture and what seems best in a certain situation. And I know that's hard to hear, but it'll set you free because it's his character. Now, now watch, he goes on to say, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for what? Sexual immorality. Do you remember how he was talking so much about that in his sermon? So this is still, a, he is saying that this is how big of a deal sexual immorality is to God, that he is saying that that actually gives right because that causes a hardening of heart because you are selfishly trying to indulge on intimacy from another partner. And God is saying that if your heart is that hard and you don't want a relationship with me, I'll let you divorce me, but I'm not divorcing you. How is that biblical? Pastor, how's that biblical? Hosea and Gomer. That God actually made the prophet marry a harlot, and then she goes back into harlotry, and he can't just remarry her. He has to buy her off the street and marry her again. 
And God says, that is my heart towards my people. So there is no divorce in his heart. Do you see how this is sensitive? Because we've been affected. Culture is affected. And I, this, this is a holy moment. I really sense that there's so much healing happening right now. This is not condemnation. This is healing. Okay? Now watch. Because you have to understand the reason in Matthew 5 that Jesus says, I want to read it again, verse 31, furthermore it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any other reason except sexual morality. So he brings this up, but what, this is the Pharisees at this time. I've read all up on this. Do you know that the rabbinic law that the, the Jews would teach the Pharisees, that it's crazy the list of things that were permissible to divorce your wife. They had a whole list, and they, they actually added it, making it part of God's law. So do you see why Jesus was so angry at the Pharisees? Because they were perverting the law and giving reasons that were just, they, they weren't good reasons to divorce or break covenant. You could divorce your wife if she cooked you a bad meal. I'm not, this is not a lot. You can go look it up. If, <laughs> there's men in the room. <laughs> it's like, man, I gotta find me a Pharisee. No, it's like <laughs> That's horrible. That's horrible. No, we, we just, it lifted. We thank you, Lord, coming back. So one of the things, you could, you could leave your wife if she just looked at you the wrong way. You could, you, could leave, you could leave your wife if she raised her voice. You could leave your wife if she just wasn't pleasing you when you wanted it. These were all reasons that you could leave your wife. And what did Jesus come? He came and women would come and find healing because the men were being taught to abuse their wives and women. And he came as the bridegroom showing. So do you see when we're talking about things right here and right now, what we're, what we're really getting at is this is such a big deal to God and he sees what you're thinking. And, and there's no condemnation, but there has to come a time you grow up. Okay? And this is weighty, weighty stuff. And I, I wanted, if, there, there's a couple honorable mentions when it comes to Malachi 2, 16 through 17 says, For the Lord of Israel says that he hates divorce. For it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, in what way we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, or where is the God of justice? This is intense. And Malachi 2 breaks it down even more, but... 
I, I really want you all to see that the, the point of reading this is not to in any way shame anyone that's in a current situation or the product of a situation. This is God revealing his heart to you, showing you his faithfulness and what you can do this moment or at the altar in a moment. And worship team, you can come at this time. I, I, I want you to really tap into the narrative that God is telling us these things because he's not a God of, that will divorce you and he's not a God that will cheat on you. And this is why people in the room, premarital counseling is very important. Can I get an amen? Yeah. If you are a young person in this room, or what, it doesn't matter how old you are, but if you are single, if you're a part of a body, you need to examine and look at the relationships in a body that are thriving, where the, there's fear of the Lord. And that you can see the fruit in children and in, in, in a marriage. And, and see the way a man's supposed to treat his wife. See the way a, a wife respects her husband. You need to be in a church environment, in a family environment. And if you just are real loose and you're just going to different churches to try to find a date. Just know that that's God's daughter. That's, 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 God's, that's God's son. And, that, and you're messing around the wrong it's, it's, a wrong, it, it's, it's so much better to just be a part of a, you know how beautiful it is that when I look at this room, I want to I speak so clearly that there are sometimes I hear people say, like, I'm just, I, I, and I'm not trying to set anybody up in this room, but what, what I'm trying to say is that, like, there's something really special about when God puts a community together and that you can actually learn how who a, who a man of God is, who a woman of God is, in the right context to where you actually know their lives, you know things that are going on, you can see, and you can get right accountability. And I just, uh, I can't emphasize that enough. And it's so crazy. There was so much over-prepared over galore right here. But I just... We'll finish this chapter, but how many people are thankful we camped there tonight to just. Is it, is it grieve anyone's heart to even see the way that young, underage girls are dressing? Did you know, did you know porn is one of the most lucrative industries. I don't, even if you go back, you can find out that, that, that porn, that porn companies even were the main funders of the internet. If you go back and look, that was the beginning of it all, becoming more available, more private, more convenient for your, for your sin. You don't have to go out and hunt for it. You can just pull it up. This is what I really feel led to do is that we, we've been talking about that there's no condemnation. The Lord is actually highlighting this because he wants you to be so free. He wants you to cut ties that stop negotiating with temptation and assassinate it. 
put to death the deeds of the flesh. That this imagination, you need to surrender it and yield it. Because here's the thing, God gave you an imagination so you could expand your revelation of Christ. Not so it could be a perverted playground for the enemy to indoctrinate you. I really, I, I sense it in my heart that like, I, 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 there's such a line that needs to be drawn tonight. We gotta get it out of the camp. We gotta get it out of the camp, okay?